press the button. That's it. One of my favorite words, this word realignment. And, um, you know, when I lived in Canada, we used, to, we used to go to the chiropractor for free every week. And he had this machine, like, and he would run it down your spine just to get things, make sure things were properly aligned. Because we know in the physical sense, if, if things are properly aligned, then we don't end up with the pains and the tears and the aches and all this kind of thing. Same in the spiritual sense, isn't it? Just this morning, just that sense of God on the throne. Everything else flowing from that keeps us spiritually healthy and strong. So thank you, worship team. Thank you, that was great. Just um, to remind you, tonight is refreshing. Interesting, isn't it? Some of the verses starting to emerge. Just a sense that God wants to refresh us today. So if you're up for a double dose, then come along tonight, 6.30, and we have a time of refreshing. Brilliant. Okay, so Galatians, Galatians chapter 5. I'm going to start off by reading you a chunk of verses. So buckle up, I'm going to read them fast. We're in chapter 5 already. Would you believe it? Starting in verse 1. Here we go. So Christ, this is the New Living Translation. So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free. Don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Listen, I, Paul, tell you this. If you are counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. I'll say it again. If you're trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, you must obey every regulation in the whole law of Moses. But if you are trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, you have been cut off from Christ. You've fallen away from God's grace. But we who live by the Spirit eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness God has promised to us. For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there is no benefit in being circumcised or being uncircumcised. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. You are running the race so well. Who has held you back from following the truth? It certainly isn't God, for he is the one who called you to freedom. This false teaching is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough. I'm trusting the Lord to keep you from believing false teachings. God will judge that person, whoever he is, who has been confusing you. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you're always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. So having beaten the underlying problem to within an inch of its death, at least Paul hopes so, we now come to the, the, the key, the hinge verse of this whole letter. It all comes down to this. Verse 1. NIV, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke 
of slavery. This is such a powerful, such an important verse. I can feel the spirit within me rise every time I read it. Three statements, really. Number one, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Secondly, stand firm then. And thirdly, do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. The implication here is Jesus has obtained for us a glorious and a radical and a powerful and a complete and total freedom. But there are insidious forces that are seeking to undermine. So you need to hold your ground lest you get sucked back again into bondage. And who wants that? So, as we start this morning, here's a question for you. Who wants to be free? Yeah. Who wants to be free so it's not just a platitude that we chant on a Sunday morning, but a reality that we live on Monday morning? If we're honest, who still struggles with a bunch of shackles around their ankles? or burdens on their shoulders, or strongholds in their thought life. You know what? In Christ, we just do not have to settle for that. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And, and New Living Translation, so Christ has truly set us free. John 8, 36 says, If the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. John 8, 32, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. 2 Corinthians 3, 17, wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom because that is what he does. Makes you think, wouldn't it be great to be able to breathe that beautiful, fresh air of freedom as a victor rather than a victim with your emotions and your mood and your attitudes dictated by the promise and not by the problem. You know, as human beings, we long for the freedom that Adam and Eve enjoyed in the garden. The good news is that Jesus came to redeem us out of slavery and into liberty. And so for us as believers, the ongoing challenge, the ongoing journey is learning how to walk in the fullness of the freedom that Christ purchased for us on the cross. Now, I reckon five minutes into the uh, message, everyone's sitting there going, right, am I listening to this or not? Because this is going to be a bit heavy or this is going to be really good news. And I'd like to think <laughs> that you're all going, come on, Jamie, bring it on because this is going to be good news this morning. Okay, so this message changed direction several times in the week. And in the end, we settled here. And the big question I want to ask, and hopefully at least in part answer today, is how does this newfound freedom operate? I always like to ask a question I think people are going to want to know the answer to. How does this newfound freedom, we've read about it, it's pummeled all the way through the book of Galatians, but how does it actually really work? 
how does it differ from the old way of law that was dominated by legal obligation and circumcision and ritual and regulation? What are the different drivers and sources and motivations of this new life? And why is it that they lead us into very different places? So again, the question is, how does this newfound freedom operate? And I'm going to attempt to answer that under three headings this morning. Heading number one, this is where your handout notes kick into action if you've got them. How does your newfound freedom operate? Number one, worship becomes relationship and not ritual. Now, we understand that the Old Testament worship was heavily regulated. It was regulated by extensive lists of sacrifices and rituals and feasts and festivals. But unfortunately, for the Jewish people, over time, the power and the meaning of those was lost. And they became routine acts of religious compliance. But to the religious Jew, that they, they had become quite the tie. Endless bloody sacrifices, detailed rituals, carefully regulated ceremonies must have been exhausting. But here comes the freedom. All those feasts, all those regulations, all those sacrifices are, are fantastic. In, in that they powerfully point to Jesus the Messiah. But you know what? They have now all been fulfilled by Jesus the Messiah. In his own words, Matthew 5, 17, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until it is all accomplished. The point being, this is crucial, we don't need those feasts and those rituals and sacrifices to take us into relationship with God. And we don't need all those things to maintain that relationship with God. Why? Because now you have the presence of the Holy Spirit in your heart crying, Abba, Father. Chapter 4, verse 6. You, you no longer need to go to the temple to find God. You no longer need to go to the temple to find God because you are the temple. And that means that the nature of our relationship changes. It shifts from legal obligation and ritual observance. It shifts into relational freedom. You don't have to wait for a feast or a priest. We have constant and continual access to the throne of grace. 1 Peter 2 verse 4. As you come to him the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. What are those sacrifices? Those sacrifices are not our blood, sweat, and tears. 
Those sacrifices are our offerings of thanksgiving and praise and worship. Hebrews 13, 15, through him, that is Christ, and let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. So our relationship takes on a new nature. It's now led and motivated and moderated by the Holy Spirit on the inside. And we see that in verses like this, Ephesians 5.18. Don't be, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. What a difference in relationships. And give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 26, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness, relationship. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. Psalm 23, I love Psalm 23, fits in every message on any subject, anywhere, ever. Verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. It's the relationship. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. Oh, this, message, this verse might come up tonight as well. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. In other words, there's a new relationship. It comes from a new place. It has new motivations. And that relationship sets us free from religion and into life. And so Paul's message is, don't let that relationship get dragged back into dead ritual and into burdensome bondage because it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Number one. Number two, conduct regulation comes from Holy Spirit conviction instead of a moral code. I'll explain what I mean by that. Under the new covenant, under which we live, we are not cut loose to do whatever we like. Paul addresses that in a few verses down the list. It's not that we, we no longer have a call to holiness and a call to obedience, a call to godliness. If anything, that call has become greater and stronger and deeper. And it's not that there is no, no more moral code. Actually, that moral code is, is, for the most part, unchanged. It's just that now the call comes from a different place. Before, you needed tablets of stone to tell you what was right and wrong. But now you have the convicting power of the Holy Spirit on the inside, guiding you into righteousness, guiding you into holiness. It used to come from your own, the determination of your own willpower to, to keep the, all those regulations written in that law. It was, it was an external compliance. It, it was fear-based, ever, ever worried about the consequences of the failure to keep that moral code. But now, it's, it's different now. Now it's from a transformed desire 
to respond positively to the convicting voice of the Holy Spirit on the inside. So the Holy Spirit, rather than the written law, becomes the constraining factor. And because you are in relationship with him, number one, and because you so dearly value that relationship, you desperately don't want to offend the dove. Now you don't need the letter of the law to instruct you because you have a far more powerful force, the spirit of the law. You're no longer just relying on your willpower. Now you have the empowering of grace. Now rather than searching through the minutiae of the law for the detail, you have the Holy Spirit searching your heart for discerned and revealed wisdom. And here comes the freedom. All of that means the verbs change. One of the major differences between legalism on one hand and freedom on the other is the choice of verbs. See, legalism is, is ought to, it, it should, it's must. The freedom is can, it's get to, it's want to. I remember Mark Murat, pastor in Peterborough, talked to his little daughter and she, on a Sunday lunchtime, having done church in the morning, would say to her father, Father, do we have to go to church this evening? He said, no, Lauren, we don't. We get to go to church in the evening. So legalism is I ought to obey. I should go to church or to connect group or to prayer meeting, whatever it is. I must comply. But instead, it's become for us, I can do it. I get to go. I want to serve. Because whereas legalism was about external pressure, freedom is about internal abundance. Full of grace, clothed with power. My cup overflows. And now that Christ lives in my heart, all these possibilities open up to me and become feasible, become accessible, become available. Philippians 4 verse 13, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, my grace, the Lord said, is sufficient for you. 2 Peter 1, 3, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for Psalm 23 verse 5, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. So when the Holy Spirit comes to take residence in our hearts, our conduct is now regulated by the leading and the influencing and the convicting of the Holy Spirit. This is so much more powerful than following a law book, largely because the Holy Spirit has the power to change your want to, as well as informing You'll have to. Number two. Number three. We're doing well. Number three. Relationship becomes the overflow of love rather than rules and regulations. Galatians 5 verse 6. For in Christ neither circumcision 
nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And then down into verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. So all the prince being set free. What do I mean by that? We no longer need our relationships to be dictated by a set of instructions, by a written list of do's and don'ts, by various rules and guidelines. Instead, you have the love of God leading and guiding and informing and inspiring and flowing liberally through you and out of you. Romans 5 verse 5, And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I love the old King James. It says, the love of God is shed abroad. I don't know what that means, but it sounds great. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. And here's the point. We're not free from the conditions that determine healthy relationships as outlined in the Old Testament law. But now it's no longer regulated by the minutiae of a list of instructions. Instead, it is led and informed by the overflow of God's love, shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 6, He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Here's the key revelation. that The letter of the law has been superseded by the leading of love. And one, as we just read, one kills. One binds, one compares and competes, one restrains. And the other gives life and hope and grace and forgiveness and safety. So for us and our relationships, it's no longer the letter of the law expressing itself through fear. It's the spirit of the law expressing itself through love. No longer are we subject to the rule of law from the outside. We are to be ruled and led and governed by the impulse of love on the inside. Romans 5 verse 5, shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. It's no longer because the law says we have to, but because the love of God is jumping up and down on the inside. All of which means that we respond from a very different place. We're drawing on a very different source, led by different motivations and almost certainly with greatly improved fruit, which we'll read about later in chapter 5. Colossians 3, verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and, holy and dearly, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. 
I might have missed a couple of words out there. Colossians 3, verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. Galatians 5, verse 13, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather serve one another humbly in love. For a moment, just think of the difference that all of that makes to the potential outcome of our relationship. If they're based on obligation and fear and performance and pride, that will produce one set of fruit. If, however, that relationship is based on Holy Spirit compassion, if it's based on patient love and gracious forgiveness and deferring humility, what a different outcome you'll get. What a different culture you'll create, and what a different harvest you'll reap. Okay, really quick, application. How, how do we get free, and how do we stay free? These points are not going to come as a surprise to you. Number one, make your Christianity about relationship. Please make sure that the, the, the true gospel message is, is always up front and center. So it remains about what Jesus has always done rather than what you must toil and strive to do. So rather than in your Christian world, rather than setting yourself hard projects and, and tough deadlines and ambitious targets with long lists that you know you're going to struggle to achieve, anyone done that? Rather than, here's an example, rather than gritting your teeth and determining to pray for an hour, Begin to worship. Just love on the Lord. Let him lead you into freedom and fruitfulness. In your relationship with God, my advice would be relax. God is good. God is faithful. There is no shortage of grace. Breathe that fresh air. Lean on him. I'd say take the pressure off yourselves. Let him take the reins. Just, just feed your relationship. And trust me, let him take care of the rest. So how do we get free? As Christians, how do we stay free? Number one, keep and make and keep our relationship about, our Christianity about relationship. Number two, let grace lead your behavior. And the older I get, the more convinced I am that grace is the answer. A grace, an internal grace, a force that keeps me from impetuosity, that keeps me from overreaction, that keeps me from selfishness. And instead, a grace that leads me into love and leads me into kindness and patience and forbearance and forgiveness. We know, don't we? We have two inner voices. We have the conscience, which is God using his word to show us what is right and what is wrong. And the second voice is conviction, which is God warning and constraining and steering you into godliness. And do you know what? The right answer 
talks about conduct regulation. The right answer is always available to you if you can just train yourself to listen to the right voice. So key to getting, into, getting free and staying free is let grace lead your behavior. And then number three, let the overflow of love shape your relationships. I don't know about you, but my love is flawed. It's insufficient, it's inadequate, it's sometimes conditional, it can even be moody. So much better to yield to the love of God that has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. Because that love is perfect, it's patient, it's pure, it's generous, it is unfailing. And the good news for every Holy Spirit filled believer is it is ever present and always available because the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. You just have to feel that compassion bubbling up within you and do what it says. Rather than going running and looking for a law book or trying to recall some code of conduct or, or, or reacting to their emotional provocation. Ask questions like this. What would love do? What would love say? How would love respond? What would love ask? Sometimes even, what would love cover up? How to get free and stay free. Let the overflow of love shape your relationships. What we're talking about here is a radically different way to live. This is the way that Jesus modeled. This is the relationship that Jesus came and purchased for us on the cross as he redeemed us out of slavery. This is the way of living that Paul presented all the way through his epistles. This is the way of freedom. But there's something in human nature that wants to drag us back under law, under rule, under obligation, under regulation. And the message of this whole book, really, certainly this chapter, and definitely that verse, is don't let yourself get sucked back under there. There is a new way of living. This way is a free way. We just have to learn how to live it. Okay, how do we respond? Perhaps the worship team would like to come forward. See the time ticking on there. Three questions. Again, they're going to come as no great surprise if you've been listening. Question number one, these are questions that I reckon this morning you need to ask the Lord and let him show you today what you need to see. Okay, I wouldn't take all three questions, that would be overwhelming. Pick one and then do business with God. So question number one is, has your Christianity slipped from relationship to religion? And I suspect the answer to, for all of us to an extent is yes. There's a slippery slope that we're all fighting a little bit, I think, because there's something about us that just loves a list. Just give me a list of do's and don'ts. That's religion. And we have to keep checking. We have to keep asking the Lord to search our hearts to make sure that we keep our Christianity all about our relationship with him and then everything else is realigned. So I'd encourage you as we respond, as we worship in a minute, just ask all that question. 
has our Christianity slipped from relationship to religion? Question number two is very simple. And it's this, do you need to let grace take over? I don't know what it is that's dictating your decisions, your responses, your actions. Time to let grace take over. And I'd say that grace works in two directions. Number one, it's your grace given out to others. But as we often say here, it's also the grace that you need to give yourselves. Stop beating yourselves up. Stop struggling and striving and toil to meet those impossible targets. They were impossible. That was the point. We've been set free. It's called the gospel. Big question for all of us. Do you need to let grace take over? And the correct answer to that question is, yes, Pastor Jamie, thank you for reminding me. And then number three, Number three, how good are you at yielding to the love of God stirring in your Holy Spirit-filled heart? And actually, the rest of chapter five and the rest of chapter six does dig a little bit deeper into that, and we'll come to this. But you know what? Every single one of us has more than enough Holy Spirit love in their heart. We just have to learn to switch off the flesh, switch off the selfishness, switch off the loud voices, and to allow that love to start to flow, to learn to hear and recognize its voice, and then to let it out, because there is no shortage of it, and it is perfect. So as I said, just simply take one of those three, ask the Lord, okay, what do I need to see today? What one thing, what one change can I make? What one attitude shift? What one thing do I need to take into this week and pray about and pray over with you?